going to continue looking at Jesus's parables, and the one I want to look at today is another one where it's at the end of a lot of context. And so we're going to read through the context and then get to the parable. And the passage we're going to look at is in Luke chapter 17. And this is one of the few passages and few parables where Jesus is addressing his disciples rather than a crowd of believers. And as I've been doing, I've been taking these parables and looking at the context of who they were addressed towards so that we can apply them to modern day uh, Christians. And that's really easy to do with today's passage since it is being taught directly to the disciples because that means that what Jesus is talking about in this passage and the responsibilities that come with being a follower of Christ apply directly to us. And so again, this is Luke chapter 17. We'll begin reading at verse 1. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. So the parable that Jesus gives at the end of this passage is meant to be applied to someone that has already been fulfilling the responsibilities and faithful duties that are listed throughout the rest of this passage. So I want to begin by talking about those responsibilities and then talk about how we can apply this parable after all of those things. So in the first couple of verses, Jesus warns against causing other people to stumble. He says that people are going to stumble. Nobody's perfect. They're going to make mistakes. There are going to be things that come along that people believe that aren't true. Those things are going to happen. But woe to anyone through whom they come. And remember, he's saying this to his disciples who are going to become his apostles that go out and preach the gospel message to all people. And so before they ever get to that point, Jesus is saying, Woe to those who cause others to stumble. In other words, he's telling them that when they go out to speak truth, to make sure that they are doing that correctly, and that they're not leading people astray. That if somebody asks them a question that they don't know the answer to, 
that they don't just make it up on the spot, but that they seek the truth rather than just trying to fill in the gaps with what they think is best. And this applies to us today. That we have a responsibility as followers of Christ to not lead people astray. And probably one of the easiest ways to lead people astray is to misrepresent Scripture. When we don't have a deep understanding of what the Bible says and why it says those things, it's easy for us to try to fill in the gaps with our own thoughts and our own interpretations when presenting those things to other people. And Jesus is cautioning us not to do that, not to fill in the gaps, not to make assumptions and suggestions, but to only deal in what we know to be true, especially when it comes to Scripture. And in fact, over in James, there's another warning that is given to those that do teach Scripture. In James chapter 3, the first couple of verses, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble, there, there's that word again, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So in the Luke passage, we have Jesus warning against causing others to stumble, and in the James passage, we have this observation that we all stumble in many ways, and because of that, that not many people should become teachers of the word. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't still share the gospel, as sharing the gospel message, sharing who Jesus is, is different than teaching all of the truths of scripture. Those are different things. Yes, the gospel message of salvation found in Christ is the summary of Scripture, but if we're going to teach Scripture, we have to make sure that we do truly understand all of that. And anyone who is a Christian, anyone who does believe in God and has accepted Jesus as their Savior, is capable of sharing that gospel message. But James is saying that the bar to be a teacher of the Word is higher because of how easy it is for us to stumble. And that if anybody was to ever always be right in what they say, they would have to be completely perfect in order for that to be the case. And that's why teaching the Word of God is such a high bar, is because we, de we never want to get that wrong. We never want to lead people astray. And of course, the best way then for us to be careful that we don't do that, is to understand what Scripture teaches. And that takes a lot of time of going through Scripture and being familiar with all of Scripture and how it ties together in order to be able to present it correctly. And every believer can reach that point, but we need to take that responsibility seriously and make sure that we are not misrepresenting what it's saying. So then Jesus goes on in verses 3 and 4 to talk about when someone sins against you and then comes back and repents. And Jesus instructs in this passage that we are to accept their repentance, even if they've sinned against us seven times that day, as long as they are still repentant, we still have to forgive them. 
And what Jesus is telling them in this moment is that the grace and mercy that they have received from God is the same grace and mercy they need to extend to other people. And the same grace that we should be extending to others. That's one of our responsibilities, is to extend the grace of God to others. That when people are repentant for the wrong that they are done, that we simply forgive them, just as Christ simply forgave us. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us what will happen if we don't do that. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, God forgave us the moment that we were repentant. As soon as we said, what we are doing is wrong, that we have not been walking in the will of God, and we accept the message of who Jesus Christ is and how his sacrifice pays the price for our sin, and we accept that in our life and say, God, I'm not going to continue in this way of life. I'm going to turn from it. That that is all that's required for salvation and forgiveness. And because that's all that God requires, that's all that we should require of other people as well. And like Jesus says at the start of this passage, we will all still stumble. We will all still make mistakes. And just like God is willing to forgive us when we stumble and mess up, even though we've already come to accepting him as our Lord and Savior, we need to allow other people to make mistakes as well and, and really allow people to be imperfect, that we aren't expecting people to be perfect just because they believe in God. Now, of course, we also don't want to allow people to continue in sin, right? This goes back to the illustration I used last week about truth being found on that narrow road, and there's a ditch of extremism on either side, right? We don't want to expect people to be perfect. That's falling into one of those ditches. But then on the other side, we don't want to allow them to just continue in sin and to say that that's okay. There is that middle road where we are allowing people to make mistakes. We are allowing people to stumble sometimes, willing to pick them back up as they recognize those mistakes and move them forward, help them move forward into the will of God. But we have to extend to them the same grace that God extends to us. And then another responsibility that Jesus shares is in verses 5 and 6, because the disciples call out for Jesus to increase their faith. And I really love the way that Jesus replies to that kind of demand that they are giving him, increase our faith. His response to that is to talk about how much a little bit of faith can do, saying that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. He's saying just a little bit of grace, as small as a mustard seed, can do something as great as that. And so as the disciples are saying, give us more faith, increase our faith, Jesus is saying, do you understand how little faith 
you actually need to participate in the work of God. And rather than calling for more faith, he wants to call them into using the faith that they already have. That is the responsibility that Jesus is placing on them, and the same responsibility that we have, to use what God has already given to us. To not just sit there and ask for more from God, and I want this and I want that. And of course, you still have to balance that with the passage of scripture that talks about how we don't have because we don't ask, but we definitely don't want to be making demands to God that he should be giving us more and more things and definitely not making excuses that we can't do the will of God and the work of God unless he gives us all of these things to do the work of God with. God is saying, I have already given you what you need. Put that to use. And then if you're a good, faithful steward of that, of what I have given you, then I'll give you more to work with. But you have to start with where you're at. That's the exact message uh, that we see in the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, where the master gave his three servants different amounts of talents, which were a measurement of money at that time. And when the master comes back, he sees that two of them has put what he has given them to good use and has multiplied that amount. But then the third servant went out and buried it because he was afraid of misusing it and losing it. And what we see in that parable is that the master doesn't judge the servants according to how much money they have at the end. He judges them according to what they did with the amount that they were given. And that's what Jesus is looking for in our lives. What are we doing with what he has already given to us? And that's not just material things. Those are spiritual things as well. What are you doing with the amount of faith that you have? What are you doing with the amount of trust you have in God? What are you doing with the spiritual gifts that he has given to you? And rather than making excuses to God that you can't share his good news because you're not a fluent speaker and you need the gift of speech and speaking to be able to share that, or maybe you can't do this or you can't do that like this person can do and that person can do, and if I only had those things or if I just had a greater faith and a greater trust in God, then I would be able to go out and do the great works of his kingdom— don't make those excuses to God. God has already given you what you need to get started. And you need to obey his guidance in how to begin to put those things to use. And all of us then need to be good stewards of what we have already been given by God. So Jesus, in this passage, goes through these responsibilities— goes through the responsibility of not leading others astray, of extending grace to others, and also of being good stewards with what God has already given to us. And then after that, he brings in this parable that begins in verse 7. It says, once you have lived up to that standard, once you have been faithful in performing the duties that come with being a follower of Christ, then this parable applies. 
And he gives this parable of a servant having gone out and done all of this work, and then coming into the master's household, and expecting the master to give him praise and glory, and allowing the servant to sit right next to him, to the master, at the table. And instead, he points out that the servant has only done what was already asked of him. And that that's the requirement, not the above and beyond. And Jesus then, after listing these responsibilities that his disciples have and that we as disciples of Christ have, after going through all of them, he says, And then, once you have reached that point, be careful that you aren't then expecting some kind of special treatment because of it. Because fulfilling those requirements and being responsible in these ways doesn't grant us any kind of special status. It doesn't give us a leg up on other people who are still struggling with those things. It doesn't make us special enough or important enough to sit as equals with God. So then you might wonder, what's the point of being responsible? Why fulfill our faithful duties as followers of Christ if there appears to be no reward for it? And the answer to that, I would say, is found in what Jesus says the servant should reply. That they say we are unworthy servants. They are unworthy. Unworthy to sit side by side with God. Because all they have done is the requirement of what the master has asked them. See, there is nothing that we can do to somehow make ourselves worthy of all that God gives to us. We can't make ourselves worthy of heaven. That is the salvation message, that there is nothing we could do to make ourselves right with God. And that's why Jesus had to die, to pay that price for us. We are not worthy of the kingdom of God, and yet God gives it to us anyway, and gives the gift of heaven and, and communion with him to anyone that is willing to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So there is nothing that you can do to make yourself worthy, but God gives you that worth. We are not worthy, but God gives us worth. And the worth of what God gives to us is actually found in a couple of Jesus' other parables. In Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 44, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. These parables 
show us just how much worth the kingdom of God has. And that kingdom of God has been granted to us as heirs and co-heirs with Christ as we are adopted into the sonship of God. That's talked about in the first few verses of Ephesians. That through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we become heirs. That's what the adopted into sonship means, is that we then become heirs of what God has to give to us, which is heaven. It is the kingdom of God. That treasure or pearl that someone would sell everything they had to obtain because nothing else compared to the value of what that thing was. And see, God grants that to us regardless of whether or not we live up to these responsibilities that God has given to us. But to understand that that has been given to us gives us the reason of why we would want to fulfill these responsibilities and fulfill the duties that God is giving us to accomplish. That we're not doing it to achieve something great. That we aren't doing it to achieve this status, to achieve this recognition and blessing. That's what the message of this parable is. That we aren't serving God expecting some kind of special reward that puts us above other people or as equals with God at the end of it because the reward has already been given to us. And so then, instead of fulfilling these responsibilities so that we can earn something, we are instead doing them out of thankfulness for what we have already been given. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And to accept that sacrifice and refuse to obey God, refuse to do what he is asking us to do, is to spit on the sacrifice of what Jesus did for us. And to expect anything more is so selfish, so greedy, because there is nothing greater than the kingdom of God. There is nothing better than to be restored into the full presence of who God is. It's a treasure, a pearl, unlike any other. And so these responsibilities that God is giving to us, to not lead people astray, to extend grace, and to use responsibly what God has given to us, those responsibilities are not so we can earn something, it's not to get something from God. It's to give back to Him. Which leads me to my question for today. Are your works of faith done from a desire to receive or from a desire to give back? That is what this parable teaches us. That we shouldn't expect praise and, and glory and a seat at God's right hand simply because we did what God asked us to do, simply because we obeyed rather than, rather than rebelled. But instead, we obey because he loved us. 
He loved us first. He gave all that he had to give to us. His own son. Sacrificed to pay the price with his blood to pay the price of our sin. And our obedience then is not to receive more, but to give back to God our faithfulness out of a thankful heart. And that is today's Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can also email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And as always, I encourage you to share this message with other people to help get this message out into the world. But until next time, I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. And I thank you for taking the time to listen. Thank you.